Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You know, sometimes we just need to have the wisdom and discernment from above to ask the right questions so we can be helpful and compassionate to other people, okay? Here's this woman in this conversation with Jesus. She says, you know, let's just talk about theology and Jacob and the well and who really is entitled to this and Mount Gerizim and Jerusalem and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, why don't we cut through all this? Why don't you go call your husband? She says, well, I'm I'm not married. And he says, right, you are. Have you ever heard the saying, be kinder than necessary? You never know what someone else is going through. Well, today, that idea holds true as Jesus had a powerful encounter with a woman at a well. Pastor Gary will describe the unusual circumstances surrounding this meeting and why the sensitivity Jesus showed to this woman was necessary and healing. And today, you'll be called to approach others in this same manner allowing the Lord to prompt you and lead you in your conversations. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Now, in this particular chapter, Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. She's not just any woman. She's a Samaritan woman. Who are the Samaritans? The Samar- There's this long-standing prejudice between Samaritans and Jews. In fact, that's why John tells us, so that we can understand here, that after he says to her, I want to drink a water, and then she responds to him and says, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. And John even helps us to know in parentheses there in verse 9, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, typically. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Why is that? The Samaritan people came as the result of intermarriage between the Assyrians and the Israelis. What happened back in 722 BC is that the Assyrians came and besieged Jerusalem, besieged Israel. The Assyrian Empire was powerful, and when it overtook Israel, the Assyrians what they did was they would repatriatize the land of Israel with their own people. Here's what they did. They took captive Israelis and took them back to the ancient land of Assyria basically covers Iran and Iraq. And they took the Israelis back to Iran and Iraq, 722 BC, 723 BC. While at the same time, they introduced Assyrians into Israel. And it was the way to repatriatize the land of Israel to make it to be absorbed within the Assyrian Empire. So for a time, Israel was under Assyrian control. And when the Assyrians came into Israel, they settled in the region of Samaria. 
and the intermarriage between the Assyrians and the Jews living in that region became then known as the Samaritans. And they were therefore considered after that, and I'm going to use intentionally derogatory term because this is the term that they thought of them as, as half-breeds. Jews didn't associate with Samaritans because they knew the history. You guys aren't really full-blooded Jews because you've intermarried with the Assyrians back 722 BC. We don't really consider you people part of us, so we consider you half-breeds. There was a long-standing prejudice and uh, hatred between Jews and Samaritans. Now, obviously, Jesus is different here. There should never be prejudice or hatred between people groups, ever. Unfortunately, even in today's culture, we see this tragically. It's a sin issue. It's, the, it's, it's part of the human heart that is wicked and evil. So, of course, there's no prejudice here with Jesus towards Samaritans. But she is surprised that he's talking to her because she recognizes him as a Jew. Now, they're passing through Samaria. What I love about this passage here is that it says there in verse 4, Now, he had to go through Samaria. Did he? I mean, what was happening here is that when when he was leaving Jerusalem to go back up to the Sea of Galilee region, Capernaum, where where that was his headquarters, okay, he's going down Jerusalem to Jericho, and then he's heading north along the, the Jordan River Valley, which cuts right through Samaria in order to get to the Sea of Galilee. That was the quickest way to get back to the Sea of Galilee, but he didn't have to go through there. What it speaks of is a divine appointment. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He's on a divine timetable here. He has to do what the Father tells him to do. Was it the most convenient route? Sure. But did he have to? You could circumvent Samaria. Many Jews did. Many Jews wouldn't pass through Samaria on their way back and forth to Jerusalem because of the long-standing prejudice and disagreement. Most didn't go through Samaria. Jesus, he's not affected by any of this. He's going to go right through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. This is a divine appointment. Now, Samaritans, though they are, you know, their heritage is intermingled marriage between Assyrians and Jews. The Samaritans considered, there were some differences between them and Jews, but they were, they were like pseudo-Jews in the sense that they, that they had some agreement on some things and some disagreement on other things. For example, they were forbidden to worship at the temple because they were considered not to be full-blooded Jews. And so they set up their own temple. They had their own temple on Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim became the mountain upon which the Samaritans worshipped. It's going to become part of this conversation when she says, well, you Jews think we should worship in Jerusalem, and we think we should worship on this mountain. She's talking about Gerizim. In addition, they believed the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They believed those books with some slight modifications, okay? Revision a bit. So, for example, they changed certain stories. The Samaritans believed that the Garden of Eden actually happened on Mount Gerizim. Everything is Mount Gerizim. They think the Garden of Eden was Mount Gerizim. Uh, They thought that Noah's Ark rested on Mount Gerizim when it came to rest after the flood. They thought that Abraham offered Isaac on Mount Gerizim. None of that is true. None of that is in the Bible. But they wanted Mount Gerizim to become the special place, so they started twisting some of the ancient stories and making it sound like Gerizim was the place to worship. So there's this difference and prejudice, and there's some differences of theology 
And so we don't really talk to each other and we don't really get along. And here Jesus is now. He comes to this well here in Sychar. And he's tired, the Bible says there. It says in verse 6, Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Now sometimes we forget the fact that even though Jesus is fully God, he's also fully man. And that humanity part of Jesus got hungry and got tired. And when he walked a great journey, he perspired. And when he perspired, he got thirsty. And so we see this humanity aspect of Jesus coming out here. He's tired. And he sits down by this well. Now what it tells us later in the story is that his disciples, verse 8, had gone into town to buy food. You know, he's hungry, and he's thirsty, and he's tired. So you kind of get the scene here. There's no conversation mentioned, but I kind of imagine it kind of goes like this. Jesus is like, you know, I'm really tired. I'm thirsty. I'm going to sit here by the well. Why don't you guys just run on into the nearest town, see if there's a Burger King or McDonald's. Maybe you guys could pick up some lunch and then bring it back to us. Make sure it's kosher, though. And so anyway, and so they go into town, and they're looking for some food, and Jesus now is alone, alone at the well. I don't know why it takes 12 guys to go find lunch, but anyway, you know, it's more commentary on them, I suppose. But anyhow, here Jesus is all alone. This is a divine appointment. And this woman has no idea what's going to happen. And she comes. Now, please note with me in your Bibles there, at the end of verse 6, it says it was about the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour was 12 noon. And this woman is coming for water at the well, which was very odd. Typically, the women would come to lug the water jugs back to the house. How sad is that, right? So the guys are back home in the house with the remote, and the ladies are lugging the water jugs, all right? But that's kind of the way it was in the culture. But you know what was odd about this? Is that women would not go to the well at 12 noon. They would typically go in the cool of the day in the evening time. Why is this woman coming at 12 noon? The women won't go at 12 noon. They go in the evening time. It's also kind of a time to get caught up. You know, it's a day before social networking, and that was their opportunity for a little social networking. You would gather at the well. It was a time of a conversation. It was a time of gathering and fellowship. Women would come to the well, typically at evening. They'd fill up their water jugs. They'd have some conversation. They'd get caught up with each other. How are you doing? Oh, did I tell you my son became a doctor? You know, that kind of a conversation, right? So they're filling up their water jugs. This woman comes at noon, though. Why? I'll tell you why she comes at noon. Because we're going to find out she has a tainted past. This woman does not want to come at the time of the regular women. Because she knows all the other women are going to do or talk about her. She's embarrassed. She comes 12 noon. And lo and behold, here is Jesus. And he says to her, will you give me a drink? And she, being a Samaritan, And he's a Jew. She says to him, oh, isn't this fine? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Jews don't normally talk to Samaritans. But you don't have a ladle to draw out the water. So now you're asking me if you want a drink. It's sassy here, people. It's sassy. (laughs) I will probably have to apologize to a lot of people when I see them eventually. But I read it as sassy. Okay? Because she asked there, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her there in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He says to her, you don't know the gift or the giver. 
He says, if you, you really want some water, you have no idea who you're talking to, sweet lady. If you only knew who you were talking to, I have so much more to offer you than you could possibly offer me. All I'm asking here is for a drink of water. Now, she starts out here. It's interesting because her knowledge of Jesus expands through the conversation. Uh, you might just want to make note in verse 9, she just calls him a Jew. You can just circle that. You're a Jew. In verse 11, she gets a little more respectful. She calls him sir. In verse 19, she calls him a prophet. And by verse 29, she calls him Messiah. So it's very interesting here that as it expands here in this whole conversation, that she grows in her understanding and the revelation of who Jesus is. Starts out, you're a Jew, you're, oh, sir, oh, prophet, oh, you're probably Messiah, aren't you? As, as he begins to expose and kind of pull back her life a little bit here. And so, you know, here she is having this conversation. Now, Again, verse 11, she's like, sir, you know, and here's, here's where it is about, you know, you don't even have a ladle. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his fox and hers? I'm sorry, she's probably upset with me reading it like that, but that's how I hear it, okay? She's just like, who do you think you are? You know, are you greater than our father Jacob? And now she's going to get into this theological debate. She's going to debate doctrine. She wants to know, you know, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, you know, our forefathers, your forefathers, we have some similarity, but we have some differences here. Jesus answers her. He's going to try to help her understand here, living water. I'm just wanting some natural water, but what I have to offer you, living water, he goes, everyone who drinks this water out of the well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring, or New King James says a fountain of water welling up to eternal life. He's saying here to her, I can offer you something that is much greater and more satisfying than anything you could possibly offer me out of this well. I offer you something that is living, that wells up to eternal life. Now the woman said to him, verse 13, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Okay, she's still not getting it. It's okay. You know, I don't think I'd get it either at the time here. And then Jesus says here something, it sounds completely out of left field. Verse 16, why don't you go call your husband and come back? Now, wait a minute. I thought we were just talking about water. You know, we're just talking about, I'm talking about water. You don't have a ladle or a bucket, okay? And you started talking about this living water thing. And now all of a sudden, what does my husband have to do with anything? What is, we're just having a conversation here. What in the world does my husband have to do? I'll tell you what, the husband has everything to do with her. What is Jesus doing? Like an onion, he's pulling back one layer at a time. And he's pulled a lot off here because that question, no doubt. Listen, you know, Jesus says in John's gospel, we'll read it later. I don't just listen to the father about what to say, but also how to say it. He said, my words are not just what the father tells me, but he tells me what to say and how to say it. Jesus is asking a very penetrating question here that is going to cut right to the chase. This is very critical for us to understand how to really get to the heart if we want to share Christ with people. Because have you ever been in conversation with someone and you feel like they're just dancing all around the place and you can't seem to find an entry point in the conversation and it's very surface and they want to talk about this or they want to talk about that. And you know what sometimes we really need is discernment from the Lord to ask just the right question to cut through all of the surface stuff to get to the heart of the issue. Years ago, on one of my trips to Israel with a group from our church, 
We had a lady that wanted to jump into the group, and she didn't attend our church, but she was a friend of someone. And so, you know, typically we, we will allow, like if you're related to or you have friends of, okay, you can jump in on our trips to Israel. And to be quite honest with you, from the very beginning of the trip, she was very difficult. Didn't attend the church, didn't know her, had no clue, you know, anything about her, um, but being very difficult. Every place we went, complaining. Everything we did, complaining. I mean, it was to the point when it's never happened before, I actually called Sorel on the ground and said, can you issue a ticket for someone if I need to send someone back? (laughs) And they're like, yeah, what's the problem? I said, you know, the whole group is miserable. This person is just being miserable and making everybody else miserable. Well, I decided, you know, okay, look, I'm not just going to, Hey, here's a ticket. Why don't you take the next plane home and God bless you? I'm not, I'm just, you know, that's not very pastoral. <laughs> Might have been what I wanted to do, but it wasn't very pastoral. Okay? And sometimes I dread having to be so pastoral. But anyway, that's just me. Okay? I want to be like you sometimes. But anyhow. Um, <laughs> and there's no difference, by the way. There's no difference between... Between clergy and laity, it's just, you know, listen, you know, clergy are just paid to be good, laity are good for nothing. But anyhow, what I'm, what I'm saying is this. Look, come on back. What I'm saying is this. So I thought, you know, what, maybe something's going on in her life. I don't know, and I was just getting frustrated. And so I decided at one of the hotels after dinner just to kind of pull her off to the side at the lobby. And this story came to my mind because I've always been challenged by the way that Jesus had such clear insight and would ask the right things and say the right things to get to the heart of the matter. And so I just started to have conversation with her. And I knew that she was single, but I didn't know anything else about her life. And and I knew that she was single because she had been uh, widowed. Her husband had died. That's all I knew. And in the course of the conversation, I I was like, you know, what don't you like here? And what's going on? And and people can tell you're miserable. And and she starts talking, well, I didn't like this, and I didn't like that, and, you know, this, and blah, blah, blah. And then just this conversation of John 4 came to my mind, and I just stopped. And I said, can I ask you something? She said, yeah. I said, tell me about your husband. It was just this kind of a thing. You know, when he, Jesus says, go call your husband, in the middle of all this conversation with her, just one-on-one, I just said, can I just ask you something? Tell me about your husband. And she looked at me and she said, why do you want to know about my husband? I said, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I just felt I'm supposed to ask you. Tell me about your husband. She said, my husband was a federal judge. And last year, he was cutting a big branch off of one of the trees on our property. And the branch fell on him. And he sustained injuries, and he never recovered, and he died. And then she said, today is the anniversary of his death. And when I heard that, my heart just wept with her. And I just, I knew the reason that you are being so miserable is because you're hurting. Your husband died, and today's the anniversary of his death, and you're having a hard time with it. And I said that to her. And then I said, can I pray with you? She just began to weep, and I wept with her, and I prayed with her. And the rest of the trip, she was an angel. You know, sometimes we just need to have the wisdom and discernment from above to ask the right questions so we can be helpful and compassionate to other people. Okay, Here's this woman in this conversation with Jesus. 
She says, you know, let's just talk about theology and Jacob and the well and who really is entitled to this and Mount Gerizim and Jerusalem and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, why don't we cut through all this? Why don't you go call your husband? And she says, well, I'm, I'm not married. And he says, right, you are. For the fact of the matter is you've been married five times and the guy you're shacking up with right now you're not married to, are you? And in this moment now you see her heart has been filleted. And she now knows this is kind of unusual here. Someone has never really looked into the depths of my heart like this. But see, Jesus asked the right question and got to the right issue here. You know what the issue is here? It's not all about Gerizim and Jacob's well. The issue is here, you've been drinking from the wrong well all your life. You've been thinking that you can be satisfied by going from one relationship to another, to another, to another. And you're on empty, aren't you? And I offer you something that you've never been able to find in men. You need to have a relationship with me. You need living water. You need eternal life. You know, folks, listen, there's a lot of people in this world. They've been drinking out of the wrong well. And all their life, they're going from one thing to another, thinking, well, that'll satisfy, and that'll satisfy, and that'll satisfy. And they always come up empty because nothing will satisfy the human soul like Jesus. And we will go and search all our lives trying to look for things. Well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's this bottle, maybe it's this drug, maybe it's this relationship, maybe it's this next promotion, maybe it's this money, maybe it's whatever. And there's nothing wrong with some of those things, okay? God bless you if you get the next promotion or whatever. But if we are hinging all of our fulfillment and satisfaction on things and stuff and relationships and all these others, they will never satisfy They will never satisfy like only Jesus can. He asks this question because he wants to expose the neediness of her heart that she can't even see herself. Lady, you can talk all day long to me about buckets and wells and Jacob and Gerizim. I just want you to know the reason why you're hurting and empty is because you've never had a taste of what I offer. And what I offer will satisfy you in ways that nothing else and no one else can. And she hears all this. She says in verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. (laughs) You've just said something to me. Nobody else has said, I perceive that you're a prophet. She still keeps trying to go back to the theological debate. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship is Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman. (laughs) He's getting tired here. Believe me, woman. The time is coming. When you will worship. Now, circle the word worship. He uses the word eight times in what he says here. Eight times in just uh, verse 21, 22, 23, and 24. He says, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Okay, it's not about a place. It's about a person. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. In other words, the Messiah is a Jew and salvation came from the Jewish people because Jesus is Messiah and he's Jewish. That's what he means there. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is looking for a heart of worship towards him. And he says there then, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She doesn't realize that it's Jesus. And then he says to her in verse 26, I who speak to you and me. 
I am that one that you've been looking for. This is a very precious conversation here. Now she's going to end up leaving her water jar, running back to her town, telling everybody about this conversation, and many in Samaria are going to get saved because of this. The Gospel of John is an interesting take on the life of Jesus. He was absolutely a man who experienced things as a human, but he's also God. And so because of that, he's able to do things that are unthinkable to the average human. But it's clear to see through this book that Jesus is anything but average. He's the Son of God. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus and what he's done for you? Perhaps you'd like some prayer support in what you're learning or growing in. If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find out service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and even download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of John that may be life-altering for you. We look forward to you joining us again for our next edition here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know